This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Julie Kalman, welcome to Better Reading. Thank you so much for having me. Julie is a historian in the School of Philosophical, Historical and International Studies at Monash University. She specialises in 19th century France, Jewish studies and Australian migration history. Earlier this year, Julie and fellow academic Ruth Ballant co-wrote Smuggled, an illegal history of journeys to Australia, investigating the roles of so-called people smugglers and refugees arriving in Australia since the Second World War. Julie, I'm just so pleased to have you here because I have had so many questions around this topic. My parents were immigrants. Yeah. Um, they came out on some kind of scheme, I think it was, back in the 50s from Lebanon. Right. Yeah. Right. And, you know, it wasn't really until recently, like m- recently meaning, meaning in the last five years or ten years, I started hearing about the notion of people smugglers and, yeah. you know, all we want to do is stop the boats. And, and I'm just thinking, well, how else do people get here if there's not a scheme? I mean, how else do people flee? So can you firstly talk to me about that? Because I really haven't got my head around it. Sure. What we see in Australian politics is the politicisation of these boats coming in the late 90s, reaching a peak in the early 2000s. And of course, we've just had the 20th anniversary of the Tampa episode. And it it was a way really of um, yelling, look over there, right? Diverting attention from the fact that people were coming to legally request asylum. Yes. To the idea that these um, completely unscrupulous people smugglers were illegally loading them onto boats and bringing them here. Firstly, I often talk about Tampa and I feel the Tampa incident, and I want you to talk to us about it because you, to, to describe to some of the listeners who might not might know what it is um, because you'll be better at it than me. But I often think that that's been a turning point in hatred towards refugee in this country. And I think John Howard used it as a tool of fear and hatred. Like, you know, in actual fact, he he used it as a political tool to stay as a prime minister for as long as he did. And he presented it in a way that people were really genuinely threatened where there was really no real threat. Yes, and and Australia has always had this kind of fear of hordes. We, I think, in Australia have quite an insular mentality. Um, You can see that in the response to the the COVID pandemic and the closing of borders now for almost, well, going on 18 months to two years. That feeds right into the xenophobia, doesn't it? Yes. It does. Anyway, go yes. back to Tampa. No, no, and, and, and that's, you know, it's some, someone like Howard saying, we decide who comes to this country mm. and in what circumstances they come here. Mm. Uh, it is absolutely a sort of criminalising 
of refugee flight. And all of that then becomes focused on this idea of this people smuggler. One of the one of the things, and I, I don't know where this saying comes from, but I've seen it a lot, is that um, no parent puts their child in a boat unless it is safer than on land, right? But this idea that parents were throwing their children into the water, which we got, you know, which was the rhetoric that we got around the Tampa episode, and the, and the complete closing off of information about that was was all of this, you know, it was that insular mentality, it was that idea of this fear of invasion, it was a politicisation, a, a language of crisis um, in order to exactly, as you say, to, to create uh, basically the circumstances for re-election. And the people smuggler comes to basically encapsulate uh, what is a criminalised idea of refugee flight. Let's go back to Tampa. So how many people were, talk to me just about that particular incident and how it was dealt with. Uh, Now, I don't know about numbers on Tampa. One of our stories in the book actually talks about the circumstances around it where um, they were on a boat that was sinking and they were being rescued from the sea And what we got in our news was these images of people in water. And what we were being told was that parents were throwing their children into the water Mm. and that these were the terrible people, as you said, that we were now going to have to allow into our country, but we were never going to do that. It breaks my heart how we dealt with that. It just, and it embarrasses me on a national level. Yeah. Yes, I I think that the... The insular mentality that we have in Australia is really at the moment coming to roost in a way, in all sorts of ways on the global scale in terms of climate, in terms of um, partnerships, all these things, yeah. Okay, so talk to me about the book and talk to me about your work on the book. How did it originate? How did it start? And your involvement? Well, uh, like you, I've always been very disturbed because my, my parents were refugees and really disturbed by the rhetoric around refugees. I had a eureka moment in 2017 and it is all around the, the, the late, great Les Murray, Mr. Mr. Football, mm-hmm. um, the SBS sports broadcaster, who was also really troubled by this kind of language and made a documentary in 2011 where he went back to Hungary. So he was originally from Hungary and his parents, his family, because of their political views, were in danger when the Soviets, during the uprising in 1956 that was brutally put down by Soviet forces and they wanted to flee. They used a people smuggler to get them across the border from Hungary to safety in Austria and... Les Murray talked about the man who took them across the border as his hero. So he went back to Hungary in 2011 to try to find him to make a point by thanking him. The man had passed away, but you see in the documentary, it's it's an SBS Dateline documentary, he's having a beer with the man's grandson and um, making this point. And watching this documentary, it hit me because I knew my own family history where my grandmother did supposedly illegal things to escape the Holocaust. I knew the story of people coming on boats from Vietnam and I started to join the dots. And as a historian, 
thinking always about how the past helps us understand the present, it hit me that actually this is not this is not a phenomenon that just kind of suddenly materialised in the late 1990s. This is a long history and it's part of our migration history. And so I got in touch with my very close friend, Ruth Ballant, and said to her, right, this is it, we have to do something. And it, it all basically progressed from there. Mm, it all came together. So the term is awful. I hate using it, people smugglers. I really hate it. But what are the options? You know, you've probably heard this. I mean, I was at a birthday a couple of, this is going back a few years, and I sat next to this woman and she said to me, I'm so sick of refugees. I wish they would just wait in the queue. Yeah. And I picked up my plate and I said, thanks very much. I'm moving. <laughs> because people think that there is an orderly way to get here. Yes. It's a fiction. Mm. It's a fiction. And, you know, it's a, I think, for example, the story of um, Munjed Almuderis, the, the, the wonderful doctor and the New South Wales Australian of the Year, tells you that, you know, it's this, he, he was living this life of privilege in Iraq and then one day Saddam Hussein turns up at the hospital with soldiers and orders the doctors to mutilate them because they've deserted and the head doctor refuses and he's taken outside and shot. And so Munjed hides in the toilets and knows that his life is now in danger and just flees for his life. So this idea, there's a wonderful book by Robin de Crespigny called The People Smuggler, and she interviews a fellow called Ali Ali Janabi, and he says, you know, what do people think? That as the bombs are dropping, we're running down the street yelling, where's the queue? Where's the queue? Mm, help us, yeah. help us. Yeah. Do you know another thing I want to touch on? Malcolm Turnbull, when Trump came in, I don't know, you might remember this, and I, I probably don't have the details right. He was negotiating that the US take 1,500 refugees. That, is yeah. that right? Is that, yes. Is, what? Why on earth could we not take them? We were waiting on the United States to help us out to settle fifteen hundred people. Oh well, this is this is all about this idea that a trickle becomes a flood. Right. You know, Talk to that, me about that. That we can't. Well, this is why we have people stuck in eternal limbo mm. in places like um, Nauru because we can't let one in, and also because the government has set up this rhetoric of illegality. And uh, also of border control. Mm. Yeah, hate that word. Yeah, hate yeah. That no, word. it's a, it's an extraordinary. I have to say, it's an extraordinary cruelty. Yeah, yeah. And so, we so, we really are as a country the worst at it. What about that family? That beautiful family. That yeah, every Gappen family. Yeah, yeah. That terrible story. I mean, for God's sake, does not one person in Parliament have a heart to say, okay, let's just let this family settle yes. here? Yeah, oh, look, when, when Alan Jones yeah. is basically saying they should stay, you know, you've got to wonder who the government <laughs> they're talking to. You don't. Yeah. <laughs> Once he's in the picture, a man full of hatred. So talk to me about the possible ways that look at Afghanistan. That's going to create a whole lot, like right yes. now as we speak, a whole lot of refugees. Yes. What are the ways of people to flee danger? Where's the queue? <laughs> Where is it? Well, um, Marama's story from Ethiopia, you know, he he did end up in a UN refugee camp 
Mm-hmm. And he could only get there after people had smuggled him out of Ethiopia. So I think that at, there, there always has to be this element of, of so it's quote unquote illegality. And, and we really wanted to bring home, that's why the title in the book, you know, the idea that we've all, we've illegalised all of this. Mm. But it's it's always, it's in this world where the, the morality of law has been turned on its head, right? How can it be wrong to get someone to help you to flee for your life? Mm. So I think that you know, there are places, and, and Marima spent 10 years in that camp, and this is the other thing, in a dangerous place in, in the Sudan, you know, a crossroads, and his wife died while he was there. It, it's not necessarily even that the queue is a good place to wait or a safe place to wait. Mm. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I was quite naive about this, but, you know, I worked with this beautiful uh, Sudanese refugee called Majok Tulba, mm-hmm. beautiful writer. And for ages, I always thought that these refugee camps were places of refuge. But mm. they're not. The no. violence that yes. goes on within those. Yes. And the way he spoke about it, it sounded to me even worse than a prison. Yes. And in, in a sense, you know, just as dangerous as what they left behind. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And, and one of the things I think that we tried to bring home in the book is the idea that actually it's not, it's not a decision that you sit on. <laughs> For years, right, until, you you know, you do your research and you find the place where the queue is or the camp and you make your way there, so many of these stories are just um, split-second moments of crisis where in order to save your life you just have to flee. Mm-hmm. And you yeah. pick up what you have right there in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel as though the world is in a terrible mess at the moment. I think it started, you know, the big, Trump getting into the US and I feel that that had a, a real domino or ripple effect, if you like, globally. And there's been a lot of uncertainty, uh, a lot of, I don't know, right-wing sentiment, if you like. There is a lot going on at the moment and that creates people movement. And what happens is we're so worried about what's happening to us that I'm not quite sure in terms of global leadership who is looking after what's happening 
with people trying to flee out of atrocities, out of war, out of, I mean, look at what's happening in Lebanon. I mean, yes. you know, that there is so much happening at the moment. And I feel that where are these people going to go? I mean, we can't get out of our country, let alone, you know, take <laughs> people in. Yes. The the recent movements that we saw around 2015 um, of those people across the Mediterranean, I mean, this was this was unprecedented in human history, that the numbers of people mm. fleeing. And it comes into conflict with, as you say, the Trump effect, which was an effect where a polarising effect mm-hmm. on public discourse, but also an effect where he, he legitimated the, the worst kind of hate speech. Can I, I'm just going to intervene there and I'll yeah, let you get back on. to that. But do you know, that first year he was here, I was in inner city Sydney mm-hmm. with my elderly mother, mm-hmm. right? I was getting her into a car and I had my two little great nephews and a woman across the road just in an inner city suburb of Sydney, a woman across the road watching me help my elderly mother in the car called out to her and said, go back to your country. And I thought, wow, that's Trumpism. That is permission to say that. Yeah, yeah, that's what he did. And it it, it was quite clear, it became quite clear as time went on that this was deliberate and the the attack on the capital, you know, was was the kind of climax of the culmination of all of that. Mm. This This kind of nationalism where I think you're right about the uncertainty and so governments don't feel they can respond with generosity. In fact, one of the only countries in the world that did was Germany. That's right. I was going to say Angela Merkel, but she suffered for that. She got a lot of criticism for that. Yeah, She did. Yeah, 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 terribly. And and there's been a rise of the extreme right wing, the alternative for Deutschland is the alternative for Germany, so-called. She, and interestingly, you know, what's what's really interesting about Germany is that Germany is the country that has fully acknowledged the atrocities that it committed in its name in the Second World War. And because of that, it seems, sees itself as a country that has an obligation to be a humanitarian country. Whereas Britain, for example, who, who took almost no one, um, none of those refugees, has never acknowledged the atrocities that it committed in the name of its colonialism, you know, or the, or the partition, for example, and so doesn't has never taken on for itself the idea that it has a responsibility as a country to make good for that past. Mm. What do you think, what's the future looking like? <laughs> well, Are we going to be better, better global citizens? <laughs> As a historian, I have to say that being a historian makes you a pessimist mm. because what you see is that we do not learn, that we do not progress as a people, as, as a, you know, as humanity in some kind of straight line. This is, this is not what happens. We go in circles. We go two steps forward, three steps back, three steps forward, two steps back. And the same sorts of things happen over and over. You know, you would have thought that in the wake of the genocides of the early 20th century, the Armenian genocide, the the Holocaust, that we would never revisit that kind of action. And yet we see it happening over and over, you know, in in the former Yugoslavia, in Rwanda. So I'm afraid I, I can't be optimistic. 
Mm. Um, and I have children, <laughs> and quite frankly, you know, I'm I'm anxious. Mm. About Do you know future. I um as you have been, we've been in lockdown for three months. You know, um, yes. and a hard yes. lockdown, as you know. Yes. We're both experienced at it, I'm sure. Yes, I'll win Melbourneians, you know, lockdown. <laughs> you know, lockdown. And, you know, there have been moments, you know, where I get up in the morning and I'm feeling like, how much longer can I do this for? You know, oh, it's yes. hard. You know, I live by myself. I've found it very, very challenging. But, you know, I read the world news every morning. And the other day when I was feeling like I just can't go on anymore, like, you know, I, I just need this to stop, I saw the people movement in Haiti and people mm. trying to escape yes, and being turned back. Yes. I could hardly say. I mean, I just, I thought, well, it was a wake-up call for me, right, mm. about how yes. lucky I am. Yes. But I just thought if a democratic president and a country that has a democratic leader at the moment can't solve that problem, there was a real sense of hopelessness. I mean, really, we can't help those people? Mm. Um, you know, the, the French, well, I'm a French historian. The French are very clever. They have a saying, um, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Mm. And I think I think that being a historian is is what really shows you that this is this is the way of the world. Mm. So we can, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and and what I find, and and this would frustrate you, is you have a look at the stories, like your parents, my parents. You know, yes. a lot of them are great stories. I was I listened to this. It's not my idea, but it was an idea I I was listening to something, and this is going back a few years. So I can't remember who it was, but they were talking about you know when we set up the Nauru. I mean, terrible. So it was around mm. then. The Pacific um, solution. Yes. Yes. Um, and uh, somebody, it was a, a a humanitarian lawyer, I think said, why is it that we can't put these people out into the community and we tag them because we don't know? So tag them in a way meaning that maybe they have to report every couple of days, maybe they have to do this. But by putting refugees out into the community, they start to have a purpose. They start to contribute to the community. They start to, you know, some of them will flourish and go and get jobs. Some of them will, you know, struggle a little bit, but will get some kind of aid. And maybe a tiny, tiny, tiny minority will be criminal, tiny. Mm. But mm. if you keep tabs on it, then, you know, the cycle, I'm sure, is a couple of years and they go off and flourish. They contribute so in a way that is so wealthy to the environment, so it adds so much value to the community, I mean. Mm. And why is it that we can't do that, that we we spend all this money housing them? And mm. in actual fact, I think the solution is that, that we we accept them, we see the human value of people and we put them out and we help them succeed. Yeah. Is that yeah. ever going to happen? Um, <laughs> look, um, my father was in a, he was a slave labourer in the Second World War and he was liberated, by the time he was liberated, he was in Buchenwald concentration camp. He was a teenage boy then. And Australia didn't want people like him. There was anti-Semitism and they had this concern that Jews were communists and they made a rule that no more than 25% of any load of people coming in migrating to Australia could be Jewish. So the only reason that my father and grandmother and uncle were able to come to the country was because of family reunion, because they had someone here who sponsored them. 
When my dad got here, he said that he, he went to work and the people he worked with, he said, didn't care what he was. They took him fishing. They took him camping. And he said that this was the best time that he, of his life. You know, he had never experienced anything like this, where he wasn't a Jew anymore, didn't matter. He was just, he was just Harry. Mm. And I think that we have that in us. I think that I as do Australians, too. we yeah. are fundamentally decent people. Mm. I think that politicians, just like with people smugglers, they create a language of crisis because that works for them politically. They appeal to the insularity in us because that works for them politically. I think we, we, lose, right. we lose that decency. We do. I spoke to a journalist recently, Damien Cave the uh, chief bureau for the New York Times here in Sydney. And he said he was talking about observations of Australia, you know, versus mm-hmm. the US just generally. But he said that he notices there's a big disparity between government and the people. Mm. And I think that that's what you're touching on. Mm. Because yes. when when we as humans connect with another person as a human, yeah. what does it matter, you know, where you're yeah. from? That's <laughs> right. And and we so this, this is why we put the book together as we did. We didn't want to speak sort of theoretical language. We wanted to tell a series of stories. And when I approached people like Marima and Taozen and Amin, who who have these terrible, distressing stories to tell, but they were so hell-bent on having people hear them. You know, Marima would stop to weep. And, and I kept saying to him, you don't have to go on. And he said, no, this matters. It's important. Because they feel they just want to be humanised. They just they just want to be people with a story. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And mm-hmm. really when, when I think about it and when I look around what's happening in the world, I think all people want to do is just live a normal life. Mm-hmm. They don't want to be crazy wealthy. They don't want to, they just yeah. want to be able to feed their children, raise their kids. I have... Um, I have very, very close cousins in Lebanon and I spoke to one of them recently, so I keep in contact with them. And what I notice is that they try and ignore the atrocities that are happening around them, the poverty. Mm. And one of them the other day, she was talking to me about her daughter's birthday. Oh, and we did this and we did that. Now, it was so beautiful and she sent me the photos of the daughter's birthday, but the city was falling apart around us. Yes, 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 that terrible explosion. I think the Lebanese are resilient like no one else. Mm. And I just thought this is it. We all just want the one thing. You know, we all want the same thing. Yes. Anyway, it breaks my heart. Thank you so much for your time today. I've really, I mean, it's a wonderful book. I highly recommend it. It's called Smuggled, An Illegal History of Journeys to Australia. Julie, you've... Honestly, I have loved this chat very much. Um, yes, I've enjoyed myself too, Cheryl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and thank you for writing this book and giving it to us, giving it to the world, and hopefully we'll learn something from it. Thank you so thank much. You. Yeah, thank you. I hope so. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere. Or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBook Store.
We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.